Good morning. It is great to be here. I'm Larry Dornboss. If you were here last week, you got introduced to me. Uh, but I just say I'm Gail's dad, and that pretty much covers most of anything I need to do. So uh, it is wonderful to be here. I've been uh, with leadership this past week, with council, with staff, with uh, the search team, and having some great conversations with everybody. And uh, so just look forward to uh, where those conversations will go in the, the days and months ahead. And I also mentioned last week that um, the guy who's coming here, Tom Crock, Pastor Tom, uh, is a good friend of mine. We worked together for many years. And I'm tracking him across the United States right now. Uh, and yesterday he sent us a picture from Minneapolis. And so I, I didn't do this first service, but I thought, you know, really, um, we ought to at least wave to Tom this morning. So if you guys would be willing to wave... That'd be great. Thank you so much. And I'm going to send this off to Tom a minute and say hi from second service. So, well, I've got to get the picture in there, though. There we go. He is just really, really excited to get here, by the way. He and I have had some wonderful conversations, and uh, he's saying this looks like such a marvelous place to be. And he's right. Okay. You know, it's a little unnerving when you know people are watching you try to type, so. <laughs> At least I don't have to find out whether you know if I can spell right. All right, wonderful. Hey, as we get ready to hear the word, let's pray together. Father, may the words of my mouth in the meditation of our hearts be pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So Sunlight Church, imagine that this is your future. God said, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. And through you, all of the families, the nations, the people of the earth will be blessed. Imagine that's your future. How does that make you look into that future? How does it make you anticipate what you're doing right now if you know that you are called to be a blessing to all the peoples of the earth? What kind of anticipation is there there when you think, wow, if that's what we're called to do, we could be... So something for us to remember. How we see the future shapes how we live today. How we see the future shapes how we live today. Now, those of you who know something about God's one true story of the whole world know that those words I said to you actually come from Genesis 12. And they're words that go to Abraham and God's promise to Abraham of becoming a great nation and blessing the earth. And you would think that when you hear those kind of words and the descendants that come after Abraham, everybody would kind of like be on the edge, right? Going, so what is God going to do next? What can we anticipate? How might we bring blessing to the earth? But come with me. Step into that one true story of the whole world a bit after that promise is made. Abraham has a son named Isaac. Isaac has a son named Jacob. And Jacob has 12 sons. Those 12 sons of Jacob don't always get along real well, and one of them has been sold into slavery by 10 of them. And now those 10 
are going to the land that they sold their brother into slavery in, the land of Egypt. And they're going there because there is famine in the land of promise. So sometimes it goes wrong in the land. I mean, this is supposed to be the land flowing with milk and honey. Everything's supposed to be great. But instead, they have famine. And so the brothers make their way to Egypt. And unbeknownst to them, the ruler of Egypt is the brother they've sold into slavery. And they come before that brother, and their brother never tells them who he is, and they don't know that it's him. It's kind of like incognito. It's not until a few chapters later that they're going to find out that it's actually their brother. And things don't go well. As a matter of fact, things go so badly, one of the brothers gets tossed into prison. And those brothers reflect on all that is going on, and they have some conversations with each other. Listen to this from Genesis chapter 42. Then they said to one another, In truth, we are guilty concerning our brother, and that we saw the distress of his soul when we begged us and we did not listen to him. That is why this distress has come on us. And Reuben answered them, Did I not tell you not to sin against the boy? But you did not listen. So now here comes the reckoning for his blood. And as they opened his sack to give his donkey fodder at the lodging place, he saw the money in the mouth of the sack. He said to his brothers, My money has been put back in my sack. Here it is in the mouth of my sack. At this their hearts failed them. And they turned trembling to one another, saying, What is this that God has done to us? As they emptied their sacks, behold, every man's bundle of money was in his sack. And when they and their father saw all the bundles of money, they were afraid. Catch the words. Guilty, distress, reckoning, failed, trembled, afraid. These are supposed to be people who are saying, we're going to bring blessing to the world. We've got this great future in front of us. But instead, they are guilty and trembling and afraid. Guilty. The word in Hebrew means not just feeling guilty. It means believing that something bad is going to come your way because of something you did. They are willing, waiting, if you will, for the other shoe to drop. They believe that God is after them and God's going to get them for what they've done. Distress. So in the Hebrew language, usually or often words are a picture. And, and this picture in the word distress is being in a small and confined space and having that small confined space continue to get smaller and smaller. So maybe you've had this. Every once in a while, I'm singing a song in church on a Sunday, and suddenly it's just kind of like it hits you. And that happened to me today. Didn't know it was going to happen. So the second song that we sang is a song that was on a playlist of mine 11 years ago in May. 11 years ago in May, I was riding my bike home from the office, and a car hit me going 60 miles an hour. Broke my back, my neck, my knee, my hip, my hand. Kids, if you ever want to have fun, you can come and see my hand where my knuckle is, like not where it's supposed to be, but it's up here. And when I was hit by that car, I woke up in the hospital, and the only thing I could do was lift my hand. And I felt like I was in this closed-in space. 
And when I was singing the second song this morning, I was standing there and it was like I couldn't breathe. I went back 11 years to that hospital room in three months in a halo and a body brace and a leg brace and being closed in. And here are these brothers who are supposed to be living this amazing, wonderful life, filling a land with blessing and promise and hope, and they're like laying in a hospital bed and all they can do is raise their hand. They are feeling guilt and distress, and, and another word is reckoning. And the word really flows back to Genesis chapter 9, verse 6, where God says, anyone who sheds the blood of another person by human beings, their blood will be shed because we're all made in the image of God. And they're thinking to themselves, there's a reckoning. And how can we have any future? How can we anticipate a, a great and glorious and grand future where we bring blessing to the nations when in fact God has a reckoning for us? And they fail. It tells us that their hearts failed them. In Hebrew culture, the heart is not, this is in our culture, we think it's kind of the seat of emotions. For them, it's the place you think. And so really what they're saying is their thoughts, their mind failed them. In other words, they're trying to say, so what is going on when we see this treasure in our sacks, the silver in our sacks. What's going on? And they're trying to think it through. And the only thing they can come up with because they're guilty and distressed and reckoning, the only thing they say, this has got to be the worst thing ever. God really is out to get us now. We just felt guilty before, but it's clear that God is after us. And so they tremble. And they wonder, can it get any worse? And the answer is, yes, it can, because then we discover they are people of fear. Fear which just brings this idea, no matter what we do, no matter what happens, everything we do, God is going to crush us here. Walter Brueggemann, in his commentary on Genesis, says this. The brothers have no room left to act, no energy for imagination, no possibility of freedom. They are bound by the power of an unforgiven past, immobilized by guilt and driven by anxiety. This guilt of the brothers has enormous power. They cannot see themselves as a generation of promise bearers. They are unable to think of any generation beyond their own. Their lives are wrapped up not in the future, but in the past and how that past has destroyed their father. A community controlled by the past so it cannot see the future. A community that cannot imagine a future where they can be a blessing to the world. You see, how we see the future shapes how we live right now. And this community of guilt and distress and fear can only see a future where God wants to crush them. So back to our story. This one brother finds the silver in his sack. And in that conversation, it goes like this. At the place where they stopped for the night, one of them opened his sack to get feed for his donkey. And he saw his silver in the mouth of the sack. My silver has been returned, he said to his brothers. Here it is in my sack. Their hearts sank, and they turned to each other, trembling, and said, What is this that God has done to us? 
What is this that God has done to us? Well, could it be that God is turning the corner in your lives? Could it be that God is renewing and rejuvenating you so that you can be a blessing to the nations? Could it be that God is suddenly taking all of this struggle and all this guilt and all this distress and he's suddenly going to turn it around for you? No way, the brothers would say. No way. God's only purpose for us is to make sure we get beat up by life. God's only purpose for us is to get even. God's only purpose. So moving a little bit further ahead in the story, the day comes when they've run out of food and they need to go back to the land of Egypt. But to go back to the land of Egypt, their brother Joseph, who they still don't know as their brother Joseph, has demanded they take the youngest brother Benjamin with them. And Jacob, the dad, says, I really don't want you to take him because I don't want to lose him. But finally, they know they have no choice. And so they make their way back. And when they get back, the steward is there. Joseph's steward is there. And they say to him, hey, you know what? We brought double the money. We don't know what happened. All this kind of stuff. We're fearful. We're afraid. Listen to what the steward says to them. Peace to you. Do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has put treasure in your sacks for you. I received your money. Listen to Jesus. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give you peace as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Jesus, after his resurrection, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And almost every time the Apostle Paul begins one of his epistles, one of his letters to a church, he begins it this way, grace and peace to you. From God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. peace to you. Do not be afraid. Peace. If you know a little bit about the Old Testament and the Hebrew language, you may know that that word peace is shalom in the Old Testament. The Greek is erene in the New Testament. But either way, as you begin to put together this idea of peace from the Old and New Testament, you discover that this idea of shalom or this idea of arene or peace is this amazing, wonderful, great, stunning picture. Basically of what God wants to do with everything. One person has described the word shalom with these words. Shalom is often translated as peace but it includes more than an absence of conflict or having individual inner calm. Shalom is about having a restored relationship with our creator through Jesus the Messiah. Human flourishing, a flourishing creation, holiness and justice. Shalom speaks to relational wholeness in families, between genders, in and between peoples, and between ethnic groups. Shalom speaks of healing the rift between nations and beating our swords into plowshares. Shalom is about leaders and nations that end oppression and lift up the poor. Shalom is about restoring the broken systems of our world and living together in the beloved community. 
Shalom is unmistakably beautiful. Kind of like a lot of the flowers around here, right? When the church lives, Jesus and his shalom, we rejoice the city and people are drawn to God. That's shalom. Peace be with you. Shalom be with you. Do not be afraid. If you read chapter 43 and then page your way back in the book of Genesis, you've got to get all the way back to Genesis 37 until we hear this word shalom or peace connected to the brothers. Back in chapter 37, we find that Jacob sends Joseph to go see his brothers to see how their peace or their shalom is. And then they sell him into slavery. And it's not until chapter 43 or until 20 years later that the brothers again hear anything about peace. They live 20 years without peace. They live 20 years without shalom until finally, unexpectedly, a steward who does not even believe in their God says to them, peace be with you. Do not be afraid. It is your God who has put treasure in your sacks. So how did they get here? How did they get this place where they could hear, peace be with you? After all, Jacob didn't want to send Benjamin back. And of course, it was the pressure of making sure the family had food that got them back there. But there's something else that happens that actually makes it possible for them to go back. Jacob, we discover in chapter 42, says to his sons, okay, go back. And as you go back, bring along a little bit of stuff to make sure the person who you may have offended, you know, gets what he needs. Bring double the silver. And then he says that he is going to hold on to God Almighty or El Shaddai. And if he is bereaved because Benjamin doesn't come back, he is bereaved. You see, what turns the corner here is this. Jacob chooses to trust God. Jacob chooses to trust El Shaddai. In the midst of a fear of losing his son Benjamin, in the midst of his grief over his son Joseph, in the sense that his picture that all of this might come to an end, this great promise of God that there'll be a blessing to the nation and there'll be a great, it all is going to come to an end. He says, you know what? I am going to trust God. I'm going to trust El Shaddai. Back to Walter Brueggemann, who writes, El Shaddai, the old name for God invoked, all is staked on this one name. In his boldness, he breaks the cycle of his own grief and loss and sends his son on a journey that will break their cycle of betrayal and deception. What got them out of guilt and distress and trembling fear was a father who trusted, who trusted El Shaddai, who believed that the God who had kept the promise this long, who had shown that promise to Abraham, who had carried it forward through his mother, Rebecca, had carried him through so many journeys of life that that God would keep his promise now. 
And because he believed that, his, son hear, his sons hear the word, peace be with you. Do not be afraid. Your God has put treasure in your sacks. Treasure. There's another time in the Bible when we hear about this concept, this idea of treasure, only this time it's not in a sack, this time it's in a person. The Apostle Paul writes to the church of Corinth and says, we have treasure in jars of clay. Paul says, I have treasure in my jar of clay, and my companions have treasure in their jars of clay, and our task is to take this treasure and to spread it out into the world. What's the treasure? What's the treasure that they hold in jars of clay? Paul talks about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. He says, For the God who said, Out of the darkness light will shine, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Out of the darkness light will shine. Now here's what we want to catch. When Paul says that, he's saying, I want to connect you back to the Old Testament prophet Isaiah. If you really want to know what it looks like, if you really want to see and understand what this treasure is, you've got to see it through Isaiah's eyes. From Isaiah chapter 9. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. Those who were closed in. Those who are crushed. Those who are lying in hospital beds and can only lift one arm. For those who were in distress. In the past he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. And those living in the land of deep darkness a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Shalom. Of the greatness of his government and shalom, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. It's a picture of a people who are renewed, refreshed, loved, welcomed, taken out of exile and put into a new place. It's the picture of a people living in God's peaceable kingdom with all that that peace means. That's the treasure. Belonging to the king, living in his peaceable kingdom that happens through the forgiveness of our sins as Jesus Christ dies on the cross. The treasure is being God's peaceable kingdom through the forgiveness of our sins. And then recognizing that in that peaceable kingdom that we step into the world to bring God's peaceable kingdom, God's shalom into the world. We do it every day by living for his glory. We do it every day by being transformed just a little bit to look more and more like Jesus. We do it every day 
by bringing that shalom into Linden and out into the world. We do it every day. But here's our reality. Some of us are like the brothers and we're saying, you know what? I'm guilty. I'm distressed. There's a reckoning coming. God could never use me. God's only thing with me is he wants to get me for what I've done somewhere in the past, maybe in the past week. That's what God wants. He just wants to beat me up. God's word to you is this. Peace be with you. Do not be afraid. I have loved you so much that I would rather have my son die than live without you. I have loved you so much that even when you go down the wrong way, even when you mess it up, I'm not going to beat you up because my son Jesus took your sins and your guilt and your shame on the cross. When you experience that distress, when you experience that guilt, that's me poking you and say, come on home. Come on home. There's something really interesting in the sacrificial system in the Old Testament. And that is there are a couple of different kinds of sacrifices. And when you are unclean, which means you didn't sin or anything, but you just got unclean, the kind of sacrifices you do separate you from the community. When you sin... You bring sacrifices that draw you into the community. God says, when you sin, when you mess up, when you feel guilt, don't start running away. Start running to peace be with you. Do not be afraid. And for communities that believe that maybe their best days are behind them, or believe that maybe they didn't do things right in the way they were supposed to, you know, whether it was COVID or politics or whatever it may be, and they say, you know what, God can't use us anymore because we messed that up. The answer that God comes with is peace be with you. Do not be afraid. For I am forming you and I am shaping you into be a community that brings blessing to the world. A community with thousands of other communities throughout the world are to be called to be a vibrant, shalom-focused community of Jesus. Peace be with you. Do not be afraid. And how can we not be afraid? Because we trust. We trust in El Shaddai. The God who has been faithful from generation to generation, from millennia to millennia, he has been there. And he is the one who says, I love you so much, I would rather die than live without you. He is the one who loves us so much that he sends his son into the world to be our teacher, to die for our sins, to be raised for our justification, and then to ascend into heaven, to sit at the right hand of God, to be king of kings and lord of lords. Peace be with you. Do not be afraid. That is your present and that is your future. Peace. See, our reality is this. How we see our future shapes how we live now. Sunlight Church, how do you see your future?
In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Father God, some of us are sitting here this morning, and it just feels like our past is crushing our future. Lord, may the powerful whisper of your Spirit enter our ears. Peace be with you. Do not be afraid. Father, sometimes as a community, we feel that we are not doing exactly as we should, and, and we wonder about our future. And Lord, in those moments when we wonder, help us to hear not only your spirit say it, but for us to say it to one another, peace be with you. Do not be afraid. And Lord, so shape us as individuals, shape us as a community, into a community and people who are a vibrant community, a shalom-focused community of Jesus in this world. Shape us in that way, Father, so not only we hear, but this world hears. Peace be with you. Do not be afraid. Amen.